welcome back to the Purity to Polyamory podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss the journey that is coming from a religious background, having purity culture influence us in negative ways or religious structures that have influenced us in negative ways, and now walking into the world of non-monogamy and whatever that looks like for you. Y'all, do I not have the most nuanced podcast you've ever heard? I mean, really, like, how do I summarize the journey (laughs) that is going from being a devout Christian or Catholic or Mormon or whatever else you may have been in your younger years and now having deconstructed that faith and walking into the world of, and let me tell you, again, nuanced world of non-monogamy. Sometimes I kind of laugh at what a broad spectrum this journey is, and yet it's like such a niche little topic we have found ourselves discussing and a little community we've started here. Okay, well, I first have to start off by saying, if you notice that I'm a little stuffy, it's because it's November, we're deep in cold and flu season, and I'm a mom, so I am right there. But I'm kind of committed to being real with you guys, so I decided not to wait until my cold is gone in order to produce this next episode. My friend and I recorded this a couple weeks ago, and she's been so patient, but here's the deal is... This episode is actually a really important topic, and I'm excited to be able to talk about it. Maybe excited is not the right word that I want to go for here, because this topic is heavy, it's triggering, I definitely want to issue a content warning for sexual assault, abuse, and domestic violence. So if any of those topics are too much for you, I would definitely encourage you not to continue listening. However, I think that these topics that we cover today are extremely important to talk about, especially when it comes to the context of purity culture. I really do feel like there's a lot of people in the church who are looking at the ex-evangelical deconstruction community and saying, what is the big deal, you guys? What is the big deal? Like, it can't be that traumatic for you to have just been told that you can't have sex till you're married. And that is such a heavy, like, the answer to that question is so deep and so heavy for so many of us that, I mean, there's books. There's books being written. There's podcasts being produced, including this one. There's accounts, entire accounts that have been created to talk about the damage of purity culture. And so it's not just like a simple, let me explain it to you in this one sentence, how this impacted me. Today is just one person's story of how purity culture impacted her. Unfortunately, it's not only her story. This story has happened time and time again to people who were in purity culture who were told that their bodies were something that were meant to honor God, and yet what was done to their bodies was something that was outside of their control. So when the church asks us, what's the big deal about purity culture? We will tell you, purity culture is rape culture. 
purity culture is sexual assault culture. And it's not okay. What happened to us is not okay. And what is continuing to happen to young people is not okay. I'm getting a little bit fired up here. It's something I feel super passionate about. And above all else, I just hope for healing for those of us who have gone through this, those of us who have had purity culture affect us, and those of us who have trauma, religious trauma that has transpired because of these beliefs. Lynn is going to share her story today about what happened to her. This episode has a lot more to do with the trauma of purity culture and less about how she walked into polyamory. And that's okay because I think for a lot of us, we are processing what happened to us and what happened to us as a culture and the ways in which these ideologies damaged us. And in order to walk into our freedom, and for many of us, that is polyamory, in order to walk there fully, we have to be able to process the feelings and the grief of what occurred. And so I am so thankful today that Lynn has come on to share the challenges that she faced And I hope that anyone who is a survivor of sexual assault in the way that she has is able to listen to this and know that they're not alone. You're not alone. You didn't deserve what happened to you. And if there is a higher power, a God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, that being wouldn't wish this pain upon you, wouldn't create a structure and a system and rules around our bodies that made it so that we felt shame and guilt for something that was done to us that was completely out of our control. And I do realize that most people who are still caught up in purity culture, most leaders and pastors and parents and whoever else who are still pushing these the overarching theme of purity onto us would agree with those statements, right? But what they're not seeing is the deeper ways in which the purity culture impacts our fears and our shame around what's happening to our bodies as children so that we can't come to an adult and safely say this is happening to me because we're afraid because we internalize it as something that we chose to do okay i'm gonna step off my soapbox for a minute and just let you listen to lynn's story because i think she adequately describes what i'm trying to accomplish here and what i'm saying these are important conversations to have And I'm glad you're here to listen in and join the conversation. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for joining. Do you think you could tell me a little bit about how religion came into your life? Religion came into my life. uh, I was born into it. Um, All of my grandparents immigrated from the Netherlands after the Second World War, and all of them were Dutch Christian Reformed. So my parents were raised in the Dutch Christian Reformed Church, and so was I. Um, So I grew up going to a church not far from my house. The private Christian grade school that I went to was basically in the backyard of that church, like they were right beside each other. Um, So I grew up going to that church and going to the school right beside it. And that was pretty much my whole life from like kindergarten until the 12th grade, 
when I graduated from that grade school, I started going to the, the Christian high school that was also predominantly Dutch Christian Reformed kids. And what about your family? Like how, what was the dynamic like in your family growing up? Yeah, they were pretty involved. Uh, my dad was like the church's sound guy. So like he was usually at the back sort of doing the the mics and the speakers and all that fun stuff. And my mom was on the praise and worship team. She ran a uh, vacation Bible school for a long time, uh, helped out in the nursery, um, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like, like our dynamic, my parents were like, more chill than a lot of the other Dutch Christian Reformed parents. Um, So like I was allowed to read Harry Potter growing up, whereas I knew a lot of kids that were not allowed to read Harry Potter growing up. Um, But like Pokemon wasn't okay because of evolution. So it was a little like hit or miss, but like for the most part, generally speaking, they were a little bit more relaxed about that kind of stuff at home than a lot of my peers. And how did purity culture play an impact? on you in that, in those early days? Uh, so my parents weren't super forceful with the purity message. I actually mentioned to my mom the other day that I was going to be doing a podcast um, related to uh, transitioning from purity culture into polyamory. And she was like horrified. She was like, did I raise you in purity culture? And I was like, like it wasn't really a message that you and dad gave me so much as it was the message that I received in church and catechism and youth group and school and like Christian events that I went to and the camps I grew up attending and you know it sort of permeated like every other area of my life my my parents like I said not super forceful with that message but um it was fed to me a lot everywhere else and I guess it had like a different kind of impact on me personally because um, so I was uh, sexually abused from an unknown age until I was seven. And when my parents found out they were, they were like, it was sort of an ideal scenario for that kind of thing. You know, they believed when disclosure happened, they immediately um, removed the abuser from you know, being in a position to abuse me anymore. They got me into therapy, hired a social worker, you know, like took all those steps. Um, But they couldn't really stop me from receiving the messages in church and school and youth group, et cetera, that sex was for marriage and that I needed to be pure for my future husband. And even at the age of like seven, like that message had already been instilled in me to such a point that like, I, I felt dirty, (laughs) you know, like, and that was sort of, that screws with your head a little bit when you're so young to be receiving that message from so many people in positions of power over you and feeling like you've done something wrong, that you've given something away that you didn't even know was happening, didn't mean to do, wasn't in my control, whatever. Uh, so that was, that was really hard. <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah. So you were grappling with this feeling that you had done something wrong when really it was obviously completely out of your control and someone that had taken advantage of you. 
but the messages we receive from pastors and leaders of the church when it comes to purity culture is telling us that in order for us to be pure and holy, we must save ourselves and our sexuality and our virginity and everything for our future husband. And so I can't imagine, you know, a, a young, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old girl not understanding that this wasn't a choice that she made. And it made me feel like naked. Like anytime that that idea of purity was brought up in a group setting, um, at, when you're that young, you can feel, you feel like everybody can see it on you. Like you feel completely exposed when people talk about it and you feel like, I don't know, like everyone can see what you've done <laughs> and, and like it's like it's written on my face or in the flesh in my cheeks or something, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad that your parents handled everything well. Um, and as you got into your teenage years, and I'm assuming, you know, at that point, then, you know, you have your hormones and your sexuality developing. How did the messages then affect you when, you know, you, you maybe were seeking out romantic and sexual connections? Uh, so like I said, I also attended a Christian high school. Um, and when I was 16, I started dating someone that was two grades above me. Um, he was like a pretty popular person at that school. He was in charge of the contemporary ensemble, which was like a, like a five-piece band that did like contemporary music teacher approved, of course. Um, he was in the concert band. He was, you know, a guitarist and a singer and a songwriter and, you know, did um, worship music in front of the school. And so he was like very well known, very well liked. Um, and I was just kind of like this mousy 10th grade, you know, awkward person. And he really believed that if you, if you had sex with somebody that meant that in God's eyes, you were married because uh, he felt like he had read somewhere in the Bible. Maybe it is in the Bible that sex is like the consummation of marriage. So he kind of like the sexual relationship that we had was not entirely consensual either. So I also struggled with that because at the time I was being coerced, but it's hard to, when you're in that moment, to know that that's what's happening. So I felt complicit in what was happening. So when he told me, you know, that it wasn't really a sin because in God's eyes, we were now married, I kind of bought into that because I was, I was younger than him. And, you know. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Um, I think that one thing that we talk about and comes up really often is that consent is just never talked about in purity culture at all. And so my issue personally was that I was being really pushed and my boundaries were being pushed and a lot of consent lines were being very blurred in my own teenage relationship, but I didn't have the way to talk about it. Not only that, but I was also so worried of confessing like to anyone in my life that I had gone into the sexual realm that I tended to just like keep my cards really close, but because of that, things were happening that were not okay and not safe for me. And so I can relate to that a lot. I can also relate to just if he's telling you, oh, well, we're married. It's like you, you're going to believe 
whatever you need to believe in order for you to feel safe and okay with what's happening because that cognitive dissonance is so intense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was in grade nine, we had uh, like sex ed in my gym class and I have a particular memory of the gym teacher talking to this room full of, you know, teenage girls and saying, like, this was my talk about consent that I received. And she said, if you're, if you're on a date with a boy and he's making advances that, you know, are not godly, are uh, making you uncomfortable, you should always bring some gum with you and you should smack it with your mouth open (laughs) and just like, like make yourself really unappealing and gross and that will stop him. And like, that was the message I received about consent was like, the ball is in my, you know, court to, to deal with that. Yeah. It's completely in our control to like become unattractive to them or do what we need to do because they cannot control themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really damaging message for <laughs> sure. So how did things progress in that way? We dated for about two and a half years and it it was difficult. <laughs> I mean, he like borderline stalked me sometimes. Like anytime we broke up, like he'd sit outside my house in his parked car. He'd call my house like 20 or 30 times in a row, like send me emails like obsessively, that kind of thing. So like at some point I got so overwhelmed that I moved to a tiny city two or three hours away from here. And I was a live-in nanny one summer just to physically get away from him. And because he was so well-known and well-liked at the school, he sort of, he had like a power and influence over the other like students and teachers and would tell them things about me and they would believe him. Being a musician and uh, his parents having some money, he had like two two entire (laughs) albums of music recorded uh, songs about me and then he distributed them to my entire high school. Wow. (laughs) So he was he was just a nightmare person. He was impossible to get away from. Was he sticking with that same thought that we're married now like under the eyes of God we are married so we're gonna be together forever and you just felt like you couldn't get away from that. Yeah because I didn't want to break like some like covenant with God right like that that's like a horrible, horrible sin. And it's, it's one of the ones that doesn't feel entirely forgivable. So you don't really want to mess with it. So, so you took on a lot of pressure that this is the person that I'm married to now, even though we haven't had any kind of ceremony or, you know, legal transaction or whatever. Um, But I married to him in the eyes of God. So I'm going to have to put up with this abusive behavior. Yeah. Like for the rest of my life. I'm really lucky that I didn't get pregnant because one of the forms of abuse that he used was refusing to wear condoms. And I am thankful almost every day that I did not get pregnant and have his child because I would have been trapped. I would, I would still be tied to him. And I eventually got him to leave me alone and, you know, safe from him now. And it's been many years, but It took a long time to get to that point where he was willing to to leave me alone finally. I'm so um, glad you got out of that situation. Do you want to share a little bit about the journey after that? And um, I'm I don't know necessarily um, where if you were married after that. Just ha- bring me um, a little bit from that relationship to where you are today. 
Okay. Um, so when I moved a few hours away that one summer um, to get away from him, I that was the summer I stopped going to church. I was living with a Christian family, um, but I worked at Subway on the weekends, so I couldn't go to church ever. And when I got home, I was like, hey, mom and dad, I don't go to church anymore. And they were like, well, if we force you, it doesn't mean anything. So I guess you don't go to church anymore. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> so that was, you know, sort of like the beginning of my deconstruction journey. And by the time I was 18 and graduating from high school, I didn't have I had like vestiges of my faith left. Like it was, it was really disappearing. Um, when I was 18, I met the man that would become my husband. Um, we were friends for like four years. Um, I took a year off between high school and university, uh, went to university for English and we stayed in touch. And when I was, oh man, 2012, I was 23. We were both 23 was when we got married. And we're still married. So. And at, at that point, when you met your husband and were dating your husband, were you still in the mindset of purity culture or had you kind of deconstructed some of those ideas by then? Um, so he was also raised religious and his parents are a lot more conservative than mine. Uh, they're Anglican, which isn't necessarily more conservative than Dutch Christian Reformed. They just happen to be. But anyway, we, we struggled with that, I think, because we couldn't, we, we decided for a long time that we weren't going to have sex before we got married. And I obviously was not a virgin. <laughs> and like, he knew that um, and was not like he was okay with that. But felt like, you know, just sort of for us, it was the right thing to do was to wait. And there wasn't there wasn't even a whole lot of religion backing that up from either of us at that point. It just sort of if we were getting married, it felt like that's what you're supposed to do. And we just kind of held on to that for like a really long time. And then, and then one day we decided, screw this. This is not worth it. Why are we even doing this? <laughs> yeah. So then at that point, did you still struggle with the thoughts and the, the guilt around it? Or were you kind of just like, ah, we're good now, I think? No, there was still some guilt. Cause like not, I stayed in touch with a lot of friends that I made in those Christian schools. And we're at that point, all at very different stages in our deconstruction. And a lot of them were not like, not, you know, maybe not super understanding or like entirely supportive or we're not supportive because we'd made a commitment to wait until we got married and then broke that commitment. <laughs> um, and like, weren't sure about our, our reasons for doing that and that kind of thing. Yeah. Which, which kind of is almost strange in itself because this is the only like area of life where people think that they have a say over someone else's intimate experiences, right? So yeah. like for myself, I didn't realize until many years later how strange it was that specifically his family would ask us whether or not we had had sex yet or not. And it was like, what a complete crossing of boundaries and personal information that you are asking us about this just because they were concerned as to whether we were sinning in that way. Man. And you, you met your husband when you were 16? When I was 16. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And we got married when I was 19 and we were, so we were together for about two and a half years, but two years before we actually had sex, 
And yeah, it was just a lot of every single time we would see them, they would ask us, you know, it was like a confession, <laughs> confession booth. Like oh it felt goodness. like, yeah. Um, and so, and, and friends too, you know, like, and it's, I think my friends took a less like direct, like we're trying to figure out if you're sinning approach and more of a concerned Christian friend approach, you know, like, how are you doing? Like, how are, how's your walk with the Lord going, you know? And, but yet like none of them that I was having these conversations with were in really deeply involved emotional relationships where they wanted to marry the person that they were with. And I, even though I was 16, like we talked about marriage, like right off the bat, because I, that's, I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. Like I needed to get married because of course, like we're going to, we can't wait that long because we're going to have sex at some point. Well, so like I met my husband when we were 18, we got married when we were 23. We actually decided to get married a month after we started dating and just like just a year later we got married like we started dating and got married very quickly and part of the reason for that was that um his parents would not have been okay with us living together before we got married and neither of us wanted to have that fight with anybody I wasn't sure how my parents would react to something like that either so we were like you know what this will probably work out let's just get married and not deal with that conversation ever so that that was how we coped with that because we just didn't want to the church is advocating for young people to take something on the massive commitment that marriage is, a monogamous marriage for the rest of your life when you're a kid, you know? And for us to feel like there's no other option because we don't want to be living in sin. And really it's like a lot of it is we don't want to have these conversations. We don't want to have to justify our actions. And they're advocating for us to make a commitment that we don't understand when we're, you know, you said you were 18 years old? When we met. When you met and then you got married yeah. at 19? 23. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So it did, you were a couple of years, but still, yeah. you know, this is such a big commitment and idea that we really don't understand the impact of it for the rest of our lives at such a young age. Absolutely not. It's like asking a 17-year-old in high school to pick their university major. Like they, they know at 17 what they want to be doing for the rest of their lives. Right, and frankly, like, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, no one knows what they want for the rest of their lives. So telling someone that you have to make a decision now that will literally last forever and you'll never be able to change it because if you want to change it, then you're going to be falling out of you know God's grace or go, sinning or going against what the Bible says has such a huge impact on our mental health long term. <sighs> So what happened after you guys got married and how did you go ahead and make that shift into polyamory at some point? So after we got married, uh, I think, I think in the year that we were engaged or dating slash engaged, uh, we had like one conversation where I was like, Hey dude, is it still okay if I make out with other people? And he was like, yeah, can I still make out with other people? And I was like, Oh yeah. And he was like, great. Okay. And we did not have to ever revisit that. Like that was, that was just fine for many, many years. And then, uh, in 2018, I had a coworker and she 
came over for drinks one day after work and she was like, listen, like, I think, you know, you're really pretty and I like you and I want to kiss you. And I'm something called polyamorous. And in polyamory, it would be okay for you to be with me while you have a husband, if, if he's also okay with it. But you know, you, you should talk to him and like, get back to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't even, I don't even think I Googled polyamory. I was just like, Hamish, there's this word that kind of means non-monogamy. And I, I don't really know what it's about, but I do like this girl and I do want to kiss her because she is also really pretty. Him, he was like, oh yeah, no, I fully support that. Like she's, she's amazing and you should, you should go for it. It, it stayed pretty casual. Uh, we're still friends, but like the, the romantic thing didn't go anywhere, but we sort of like having not done any research into the topic of polyamory, we sort of discussed, you know, what are our limits? What are our boundaries? That kind of thing. And like fell into a lot of those pitfalls that a lot of people do when they're starting out a non-monogamous journey. Like we had veto power, for example. Um, either one of us get to say stop for any reason at any time and the other person has to stop was, was one of them. And we, neither of us had any other partners uh, for, almost three years. Um, it was sort of like this coworker and then nothing for a long time. Um, and that gave us, I think, just a lot of time to like digest, like, okay, like we've always been okay with making out with other people. How do we feel about having like actual relationships with other people and like, you know, getting like romantically involved with other people and how does that impact our relationship <laughs> and what, what do we want? What are our goals? What are our needs? And like uh, starting to ask all those big, important questions. And by the time I met um, my boyfriend uh, in March of 2020, we, I guess we'd had enough time to sort of digest things and had reached a spot where we could let the other person be free. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like we, we don't need the veto power. We don't need to have like uh, this kind of control over the other person's like relationship. We're free to explore those things by ourselves and with each other however we want no more restrictions has he dated yeah yeah uh he met he met his girlfriend right around the time that I met my boyfriend um they broke up just over a year ago uh that was a very intense first relationship I I loved her I still miss her <laughs> um we don't talk anymore but I wish we did but i Yes, uh, yes, he's dated someone as well. So do you guys practice kitchen table polyamory or is it more like parallel? What does that look like? So it was kind of funny. Uh, he, he was out for a walk with her sort of before they started dating. They were still kind of getting to know each other and there was a pandemic, so there wasn't any touching or anything allowed. So they were just going for like walks far apart from each other for a while. And I was talking to my boyfriend just online and he was like, oh yeah, Lynn is seeing um, this, uh, this person, this is their name. And she was like, we used to be neighbors. He used to live across the street from me with his partner. And we like used to hang out and go to poetry slams and stuff. And they, they were already friends. It turns out his girlfriend and my boyfriend. So the, the kitchen table thing, it was natural. Like it just, it immediately worked right off the bat because everybody already knew everybody apparently. So that was like kismet, I guess. Oh, that's cool. So did you guys hang out uh, quite a bit as a group? A lot. Um, so in uh, the province that I live in, 
we were allowed to have like social bubbles last year, last summer. So we, um, of up to 10 people and there was five of us. So the five of us just made a commitment to like only spend physical time with each other. And because of that, like we were together all the time, like as much as possible would we hang out in a group and just play board games and watch movies and eat food and spend time. It was wonderful. That's amazing. Did you ever at a point feel that your um, history with purity culture or religion, emerging from religion, impacted your ability to come into polyamory? I think, I think by the time I started realizing that like, this is an option and that there's words for it and that there's other people like this out in the world and that, you know, there's, there's community to be had here. Um, I was far enough removed from it that I didn't have too much like cognitive dissonance or like difficulty getting my head around the concept of it. Cause um, it had been like more than 10 years since I left the church. So I, I had, like just enough space, I think, between that and discovering polyamory to be able to not have too much trouble transitioning into that kind of like love style. That's great. And I love that you guys were on the same page about it. And I'm sure it hasn't been without its bumps along the way. Um, but it sounds like you guys are on the same page. What do you feel like polyamory as a relationship structure brings to your life that you might be missing if you were to stay in a monogamous relationship structure? I think I'd be missing out on a lot of love. <laughs> um, I, I think that both my husband and I have a great capacity for, for being able to love each other and other people. And I think that we'd both be missing out on the opportunity to see each other grow into another person, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, definitely. And compersion, like we're both compersion hogs. We just we, we eat it up. <laughs> so. I love that. Like, can you give me an example of, um, a compersion moment either for you or for him? Uh, for me, uh, when he and his girlfriend first started dating, I was working from home, uh, for a call center at the time. And, um, I would sometimes like run downstairs for like a smoke break or a snack or something. And they would just be like cuddled up on the couch watching Rick and Morty or something. And I would just be like, yay, <laughs> like, this brings me so much joy just to see you guys interacting and being affectionate and being so happy. I love that, that's so adorable. Thank you so much for joining today, the Purity to Polyamory podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can sign up for my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash purity to polyamory. For more content, please visit my Instagram at purity to polyamory. I want to do a quick shout out to Sam Montooth for the music. You can find his information in the show notes. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Reach out to me, share your comments, share your questions. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, be well, friends.